Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. John Schumer from NBA.com, good enough to give us a couple minutes here tonight. John Jody Mack here. How you doing, bud? I'm great, Jody. How you doing? Good. Appreciate a couple minutes of your time. Has this play-in stuff worked for you so far for the NBA? I think so. Um, I think it's definitely added, uh, or I'd say it's increased the percentage of regular season games that matter, and I think it's definitely kept a lot of teams um, trying to compete at the end of the season in in situations where they otherwise wouldn't. I mean, the Western Conference especially, you know, there was a big gap between uh, 8 and then 9 and 10, um, but New Orleans wanted that, you know, you know that play-in opportunity. Um, they traded for C.J. McCollum, uh, and they were very competitive, and they had a terrific sort of, you know, last uh, couple months of the season. And, and now they have a chance to make the playoffs, and, and I think it's, you know, it's made the, the league a better product just because, you know, more games are competitive than, than they would be in the uh, old scenario where just only the top eight teams make the playoffs. You mentioned the job that McCollum's done. He has been phenomenal. Got, uh, basically, for me, almost single-handedly got him to win the other night against San Antonio to get him into tonight's game and potentially make the playoffs. And they played this entire season without Zion Williamson, and we've gotten sporadic reports on him being away from the team, his returning to the team, him working out, his not getting in any physical uh, activity. Um What's the latest you've heard on Zion Williamson? I don't know. They got to win tonight's game, and then they've got a couple more dead, and then they got another series on the way. Is there any chance we see Zion Williamson this year? I I seriously doubt it. I think they're, they're, the message from them is basically we are not planning to play him in the first round series if we if we get there. And I think it makes sense. I mean, um, first of all, they'd be playing Phoenix, and they'd have minimal shot against Phoenix. I think whether he played or not. Um, yes, you'd love to just get him on the court, you know, let him, let him play if, if he's available, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's, it's a long-term investment. Um, and you don't want to take a risk that you don't have to take. Um, so I think it's pretty doubtful. Well, I'm with you in that with or without Zion, I wouldn't like their chances against the Suns. But then again, truth be told, I don't know if I like anybody's chances against the Suns in the Western Conference playoffs. They've been far and away the best team in the NBA this year. What could derail the train that has been Phoenix so far this season? Uh, You know what? I think if we rewind to December, maybe early January, Phoenix and Golden State played three times, and Golden State won two of those games. Um, Devin Booker didn't play in one of Phoenix's losses, but I think the sort of oh, the predominant sentiment out of that oh, after those three games was that Golden State had that had a matchup advantage there, 
and that was before they got Clay Thompson. Now, of course, Golden State hasn't been themselves in months now. It's been, you know, after those three games, basically, the things started to fall apart for the Warriors. Thompson was about to come back, and Draymond Green got hurt, and then Stephen Curry got hurt. So we don't know if Golden State is ever going to reach its potential going forward. But there is a there is potential there if you put Stephen Curry, Jordan Poole, Clay Thompson out on the floor together. That's a ridiculously uh, potent offense, and then you have Draymond Green, Kevon Looney uh, up front. They can you know anchor a, a solid defense. I think Golden State's ceiling is very high, and if everything went right for them, they would have a really good shot to beat the Suns. We I, I, we just you know, have no idea if that's if if they're going to get the you know everything goes right scenario. They did win their last five games, and Clay Thompson uh, did go over thirty points three times in the last five games. Has he gotten back to Clay Thompson level yet? Is it still a work in progress? Where is his game at right now? I, I think he's getting close. I mean, I think he's shot his way back to 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 get finding a rhythm. He was not afraid to shoot. Ever since he came back, I, I, his you know, field goal attempts for 36 minutes or whatever it was was sort of ridiculous. Um, so I think, and, and part of why he had to shoot so much is because Stephen Curry's been out. And so I think if you can get those guys on the floor together, then then he can become the just sort of you know catch and shoot Clay versus try to shoot off the dribble so much Clay, and and they could you know certainly get there i don't think defensively he's going to be the same as he was you know before he got hurt i mean he was a terrific defender i don't think he's going to be a terrific defender in in the playoffs this year i don't know if he's maybe he'll get back to that long term um but he's getting close and and i would not want to have to game plan for an offense that included those two guys um healthy and 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 moving well let me ask you about Draymond Green. I made this point earlier. Tell me if I'm on, on point or way off. I guess he's going to be the guy who's going to draw the main assignment on Jokic. He is, for me, easily their best defender. He's one of the best defenders in the league, and he is a guy who changes their overall defensive outlook when he's on the floor. Is he going to go mano a mano on Jokic in most of these games? I think you'll see it at times. I also think you'll see Looney on him at times. It's a good question how they'll start out. Um, you know, if, if if he'll be guarding uh, Jokic or Jeff Green, it's a good question. They're going to switch a lot, too. So I, I right. don't think the initial matchup matters too much. It's a great question as far as coming down the stretch. Maybe Green's playing center, and they basically have no choice. You know, there's going to be lineups where, where Draymond's at the five, and, and, you know, obviously Denver's not going to go small. So... Um, I think, yes, you'll see that matchup plenty. I don't know if it'll be the, the initial matchup to start the series, but I think you'll definitely see it um, for a good portion of it. Don Schumann, NBA.com, talking NBA playoffs with us here on CBS Sports Radio. All right, let me jump to another series that gets underway tomorrow, and that's the Raptors and the Sixers. Sixers ended up in the four spot, the Raptors the five. So four or five series are usually close to toss-ups. Damn if this one isn't a toss-up. Yes, the Sixers have the star power, but Toronto was playing better at the end of the season and did beat the Sixers three out of four times during the regular season. 
Uh, some significant changes to both of those teams over the course of the season, so I don't know how much emphasis I should put on regular season matchups. They did beat them the last week of the season, which I think is important, but do you take anything from the fact that the Raptors won three out of four during the regular season? Yeah, I think you can look at the two that were after the All-Star break with the Sixers having uh, James Harden. Uh, the, the, it was the James Harden edition of the Sixers, and the Raptors beat them twice. And the amazing thing about it is when in both of those games, when Joel Embiid was on the floor, the Sixers won. You know, he had a, he had a positive plus minus when he was on the floor. But big question for Philadelphia, or one of the big questions for Philadelphia, is what happens when Embiid steps off the floor? They have no, you know, they have no clear answer at backup center, and they've really struggled in those minutes. Those, those, those are the minutes that, that cost them in those two games against Toronto. Um, even if you go back to the, the series that those guys played in, in 2019, Philadelphia just got absolutely destroyed in, when Embiid stepped off the floor. And here we are three years later, and they still have the same problem. So I think that's going to be critical. Obviously, James Harden's ability to just execute, make shots, you know, his, he's, he's still got a lot of questions to answer in regard to uh, his play in big games. And, and I think, you know, this, this series is going to go long and the spotlight's going to be on Harden. And, and, and even in those minutes when Embiid is off the floor, obviously he's going to have to, they're going to try, I, I assume they'll stagger their minutes so that Harden's on the floor when Embiid is not. And then he's going to have to, he's going to have to make sure that they stay afloat in those minutes, minutes. And, uh, you know, Embiid is going to be a matchup problem for Toronto. They're going to swarm him, and then other guys are going to have to make shots. I would say that there's probably more pressure on James Harden coming into this postseason than any other player. He said the other day there's absolutely not. Uh, a little <laughs> false bravado on his part, but I am with you. He's going to have to come up big for the 76ers. Uh, I, I'm a huge Doc Rivers fan. Uh been a big fan from his playing days to his coaching days and his several different stops, including his championship in Boston. I was surprised this year because I've never seen Doc Rivers lose it the way that he did. A couple of times in postgame press conferences, getting very condescending with the media that covers the team. That's not Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers is a media savvy guy. Shoot, he was a member of the media for several years. How much pressure is on Doc Rivers going into this series? I think there's quite a bit. I think he's he's definitely, um, uh, I'd say I, I'd say heard some questions uh, and beyond the ones that are asked to his face. I think there's some questions out there regarding his ability to coach uh, coach in the postseason and get this team in particular um, to play as well as it can. Um, and he's going against a a, a, a sort of a. Uh, I don't know how to describe Nick Nurse. He's a, 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 a coach that will try some things, right? Yeah. Um, and they're going to throw some multiple defenses at Philadelphia. And so there will be challenges within games, uh, adjusting from game to game. I, I think for sure it's that he, uh, Doc is, is uh, under the spotlight a little bit. We've got the uh, Jazz and the Mavs kicking their series off tomorrow as well. We already know Luka Doncic is going to be out of the first game. With uh, the way that he plays and what he means to the Mavs, it is a massive loss. Or is it? Because if there's a team in the league that is situated to replace a starting point guard, it might be more so the Mavs than any other team. Uh, Brunson has been great coming off the bench. They've got other guys that can handle it as well. 
am I understating how much him missing game one of this series is going to hurt the Mavs without Dantich? That's a good question. If you look at their numbers with Doncic off the floor and Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie in the backcourt, they're actually pretty good. Um, but that's a, reg- you know, that's a regular season sample size, maybe against some bad teams. Um, Utah will be tough. Uh, I think Utah is, is probably better than, than their record says they are, although they struggled down the stretch. Um, they had a little, they were a team that sort of struggled in close games and, and, and had some, some blowout wins. So their sort of point differential looks like a better team than, than what their record says they were. So I think it's a, it's a interesting series either way, whether Doncic plays or not. Um, hopefully he's, he's back for game two, but obviously it's an opportunity for the jazz to, uh, to, to get an early advantage if Doncic isn't playing this weekend. Um, and I think they have the potential to win it, um, but they have to come together more than than they have. Obviously, obviously, we've we've they've seemingly splintered uh, in the wake of uh, of some issues uh, in the middle of the season. Let me ask you about the Jazz. Is part of their struggles in close games because they live and die by the three? It seemed to me like they take as many threes as anybody in the NBA, maybe more. I should probably know that so that off the top of my head, but. Uh, Mitchell's not afraid to put it up from deep. That's all that Jordan Clarkson does when he comes into the game. Bogdanovich is a stone-cold three-point shooter. Even Mike Conley takes almost six threes a game. Do they rely too much on the three for the postseason? It's possible. Um, the one thing is Mitchell has been absolutely fantastic in each of the last two postseasons. His numbers in the last two playoffs are just ridiculous. And so um, he's one guy that can – you know, get to a, a pull up in the mid range and, 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 and do a little damage in the middle of the floor. Um, but yeah, they don't necessarily have, uh, obviously that they don't have the, the, uh, the Paul Booker combination that Phoenix does. Um, you know, they don't have much lineup versatility. Obviously they have Rudy Gobert and they don't really have a small ball line. Their small ball lineups have been bad. Um, and so they're going to play a, a regular five almost all the time. So I think it's a little bit of that. I think they just don't have the necessarily versatility and sort of uh, to play different ways. And then clutch, you know, sort of uh, close game, you know, execution can come, come and go. Like you'll see a team that was not good in close games in the regular season. All of a sudden they'll be good. Milwaukee last year is an example. They were sort of below 500 in close games in the regular season. And then they were really good in close games uh, in the playoffs, including three and O in games that were within five in the last five in the finals against the team Phoenix. That's been otherwise remarkable in close games uh, over the last two years. So it, that kind of stuff can come and go. And close games seem to, uh, it just seems this way to me. Tell me if I'm off. Um, they go to the hometown team's direction more often. How big is home court an advantage in this postseason? We know Phoenix has it out west. Miami will get their series underway um, against tonight's winner, as a matter of fact, either the Cavs or the Hawks. And they finish up with the best record. you got to give them that. Uh, they, they're not as dominant as Phoenix was in the west. How big an advantage is home court throughout for Miami in the east? Uh, that's a good question. I don't think it's huge. Um, the one, the one interesting one is, is sort of Milwaukee sort of playing themselves out of the two seed. Um, I don't know if they were really trying to avoid Brooklyn or they were just trying to 
sort of uh, stay healthy down the stretch. But that, you know, Boston is a really good team. And, you know, Boston beating Brooklyn wouldn't be a surprise at all. And then all of a sudden Boston has home court in the, in the second round. So I think that's the sort of the more interesting um, scenario. I think in most series you got to win a road game. You know, I, it, you know, a series where the home team wins all seven games are fairly rare. Um, although, you know, the winning percentage for the home team in game seven is, is usually pretty strong. So I, I think it, it matters, although, I, you know, it's more about matchups. And, and, and even if you are the home team, you're going to have to – you might have to win a game on the road anyway. But let me ask you this one because I debated this on the air the other night and some took it seems like the way that you're leaning is the point. Uh, I went the opposite direction. If I'm being given a choice, I get to play the Bulls in the first round but then know I have to be the road team in the second round or I could play the uh, Nets in the first round but I'll know I'll have home court advantage in that second round. Which would I choose? Oh, I choose the Bulls in the first round. Because I think that's the biggest matchup of any series this side of Phoenix in the West. The easiest series to handicap in the East for me is Bulls-Bucks. I don't give the Bulls much of a chance at all. Do you? Yeah, I mean, they've really struggled against good teams. I think they won one game against the top four teams in the East, and that one game was in November uh, against Boston. So, yes, Chicago is is definitely of the bottom, maybe even of the bottom four, even if you count the winner of, Atlanta, Cleveland, Chicago might be the team you'd like to play the most. But uh, like I said, Boston has been the best team in the league since late January, and Milwaukee is the defending champ. So if I'm in, it, I would, you know, I think that there's a strong possibility that that's a series in the second round. So it's a tough, you know, it's a tough question. But you know, obviously, as you said, Brooklyn is as dangerous as a seven team as we a seven seed as we've seen. It's possible that the three best teams in the East are all on the same side of the bracket with Milwaukee, Boston, and Brooklyn. Um, and it's amazing, you know, given that Boston's been the best team in the league for the last couple months, like I said, and Brooklyn has Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. One of those teams isn't going to make it out of the first round. All right, let me get a couple of matchup uh, breakdowns from you in that Celtics net series. Do Durant and Tatum go mano a mano? It's uh, a good question. I would think that the Celtics start maybe Grant Williams. Um, that's a good question. Whether they'll start Horf or they'll start Grant Williams or Daniel Tice. Maybe they start Grant Williams since you know Brooklyn basically starts Durant at the four and puts him out on there. But I, I'm sure the Celtics switch so much that their sort of an initial matchups don't match up, uh, don't matter that much. The question is, they're going to switch, and you know Brooklyn is probably the the team that could handle switching the most because they'll just they'll they'll they're happy to play one on one. The question is whether you know when Durant isolates against whoever the defender is, if if Boston brings a second defender over there, tries to double team, and then what happens from there? How well do the next Nets execute out of that situation? On the end of the end of the other end of the floor, yeah, I, I would think Bruce Brown probably gets the initial assignment with Tatum. He's their sort of go-to one-on-one uh, defender, but he doesn't have the size, perhaps. So I'm sure we'll get Durant guarding Tatum quite a bit. You just said Celtics switch a lot, which is accurate. But after the switch, if you're uh, the Celtics, who do you want on Kyrie more often if he's going to be trying to get that one-on-one breakdown? Marcus Smart or Derek White? They're both pretty damn good defenders. 
I would think smart. Um, he's going to, he, I think the, the officials will probably let smart be a little bit more physical, um, with Irving. And I think, you know, it's just sort of the way things go. I, I think, yeah, I think smart is the one guy you would like to have him guarding, uh, Irving most of the time. And, and, you know, we'll see how, how well that works out. How, how much the Nets try to get him off of Irving will be interesting, too. I postseason play. There are scheduled days off in. You don't get back-to-backs like you do during the regular season. Who's best suited health-wise and or just the fact that they had to go through a gauntlet just to make it to the playoffs? I'm not asking who the most talented is, and we can all read the uh, standings and know who had the best season. But is there a team that kind of stands out for you that you go, all right, they're in playoff mode and they're in a pretty good position to kick it up a notch. I mean, I, I think it might be Brooklyn. Um, if you actually look at the the difference between how well they played with rest, meaning they didn't have it, they didn't they didn't play the game the day before versus the how well they played on the second game of the back to back, they had one of the biggest differentials in the league. Whereas they were, I think they had two wins in back in the second game of the back to back, and they were maybe two and twelve, two and thirteen, or something. In the second games of back to back, and that tells you that they were much much better. And uh, you know when they when they were rested, and also Durant, you know they're going to be asking Durant to play 42, 44 minutes a night. So as much rest as they can get between games um, for him, and they have a ton. They play something like I guess it's Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, or something like that. The first three games. Um, that's important for him. You know the question is, you know if they get to you know a six or seven game series and they're playing. You know, uh, I mean, shoot, we saw in the Milwaukee series last year, he seemed to run out of gas in that final overtime of Game 7, um, and they will be asking him to play a ton of minutes. I think you can expect him to play uh, the entire second half in any any game that, that's close. Is that the reason his big toe was on the line during that three-point shot? He just didn't have enough gas to pull it back <laughs> another three inches and actually tie that game? I hadn't even thought about that. Uh, John, last thing. Um, if you have an NBA uh, NBA MVP vote and you want to share, we'll certainly take it. If you don't, uh, but you want to hint at it, fine. If you don't have a vote, would you tell us who you would vote for the MVP in the NBA this year? I did have a vote. And uh, my vote went to Nikola Jokic. Uh, three things. I think it's just the, the basic box score stats. His points, rebounds, assists, just fairly incredible. And a big jump from last year when he was MVP, too. If you look at like his, his points, rebounds, and assists per 36 minutes, he actually took a big jump. Number two is his efficiency. He was basically the most efficient scorer of, among like high-usage players in the league. Um, he was just terrific. An incredible scorer, uh, especially inside the arc. Can uh, really good from mid range, really good in the paint. Um, and then three is just the differential between when he was on the floor versus off the floor with the Nuggets was absolutely huge. You know, that, that's it shouldn't it shouldn't penalize somebody for having good teammates, but he even just the, the eye test, he's just everything about you know the Nuggets are Nikola Jokic. They go as he goes. Um, you know, he was the obviously the fulcrum of their offense, and then also very important to their defense. Um, he's a solid defender and a guy who, who because with with his size, has a lot of value on that end of the floor as well. So I, he was my pick, and I didn't find it too too difficult. Although 
Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo both had MVP caliber seasons. I didn't find the choice uh, all that difficult. It was pretty amazing that you had three guys who on any other given year could absolutely make the argument for them for MVP as well. It wasn't easy. Appreciate you sharing. Appreciate you giving us all the knowledge over the last 20 minutes. John, thanks much. Enjoy the uh, game tonight and then the great action over the weekend. Appreciate it, Jody. Have a great weekend. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.